Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Hey y'all, Jamie Ivey here, and today, Beth Moore is joining us on the Happy Hour. And as I was sitting down thinking about this conversation, I really got a little giddy and I started smiling to no one in the room except for me and God. And I remember when I started this podcast, The Happy Hour, and I thought to myself, dream guest, Beth Moore. I mean, I'm telling you, when I started following Jesus, I did Beth Moore's Breaking Free Bible Study, and it transformed my life. Like God used her and her words and her study, and the Holy Spirit changed me forever through that Bible study. And so I just have so much um, gratitude toward her journey in ministry. I have so much gratitude for the way that she has led so many women to a deeper study into God's word. And so years ago, she was on the show, episode 108 was the first time she was on. And I remember I was nervous, Nellie. I mean, Beth Moore is who I was talking to. And I sat down to sit here and record this intro for you guys. And I wrote down the episode that she's been on. And I literally, I feel a little tender about it. And I just think, God, look at you. Like, I can't believe that I've had the opportunity to bring conversations with Beth to my listeners. Now, this will be the fourth time she's been on the show. So if you want to go back and listen to other times Beth has been on the show, you can start with episode 108 when I was a a, a big old fan, not knowing what I was doing, talking to her. She also was on episode 278. And then last year, she was on episode 463. It was a dual episode uh, with her and Dr. Russell Moore, which they're not related uh, at all except for the blood of Jesus, but I adore them both. And so today, Beth is coming back. And and this is a special episode, I would say. I had the privilege to read Beth's new memoir, which just released into the world yesterday. It's called All My Knotted Up Life. And as I read the book, I again became so grateful for her and her leadership and the way she lets us into her world right now because she didn't have to, she didn't need to, uh, but she led us again through the story. In fact, I told her as I was reading it, I text her on the show, I tell her I closed this book and cried. Like I literally closed the book and cried. And so she's here today. And I just want to tell you, I came to this interview with pages of questions for our girl, Beth, and did not get to hardly any of them, but this conversation is so much fun today and it's exciting to talk to Beth. And so here is my conversation with Beth Moore all about her knotted up life. Hey, Beth, welcome back to the happy hour. Jamie, I'm so happy to be with you. I hardly know what to do. So I, it didn't, doesn't matter whether you'd called it that or not. If I spent an hour with you, it would be happy. I'll tell you that. Well, listen, I'm happy to be with you, too. I was telling my husband yesterday we were traveling, and I was telling about my day today, that I'm going to be interviewing you, and he asked me, he said, do you still get, like, nervous when you interview Beth? Because the first time I ever had you on my show, I was like, well, I can just shut this thing down. I mean, Beth Moore's on. The happy hour is over. We will never interview another guest. We have done it. And I said, you know the crazy thing? And then it was a letdown. (laughs) No, not at all. Yes. Not at all. And then I said, the craziest thing, Erin, I said, Beth will always be that purse, like I did your breaking free was the first Bible study I ever did when I started following Jesus. I said, there's so much of my life, like kind of mended together with her journey. I said, but the thing is, I feel like she's a friend now. And so I'm so excited that I'm chatting with a friend today. I I hope so. And I feel that way about, 
about your generation of women, which I put really close to the age of my daughters, because mm-hmm. my daughters, I'm still very much their mother. They're still very much my daughters. But we also get to come to a point then where we are very, very dear friends. And I, I love that part of it. I would not take any part of that back. So it's, it's, that's a good thing. And I, I receive it and love it. And I'm going to tell you something, Jamie, I want people to know this coming in to the interview because you and I have texted a few times and I just want, I want to brag on you because mm-hmm. in doing a number of these podcast interviews and radio interviews, whatever, and all of us are so, so overwhelmed with our schedules and have so little time, but you come so prepared just to hear from you that I will have read that book from cover to cover by the time I see you. And there, there have been some times that I've, I've loved it every time. God has blessed it every single time, but that I've been interviewed about it, that it, uh, that I knew that they had not read it and it, did, you know, it was fine. It was fine. But I just want to tell you, you are always ready for your guest and you are always on top of it. And I, man, I love being with you. I well, love it. You're kind. And um, I texted you after I finished this book. I finished it in the bath with tears rolling down my eyes. And so I can testify that this is a book worth reading. So that's what we're here to talk about. You have a memoir coming out. Okay. And yes. Beth, here, here's here's my first question. You have written, I don't know, many, many, many <laughs> books, many, many Bible studies. You've been doing this for a long, long time. Long time. Where did the conversation come up of, I think I, Beth Moore, am going to write a memoir? I think probably two things played into it more than anything else in the timing. And that was getting to a place where I was facing my 65th birthday, which I I did not resent in any way. I've laughed with some people and said, listen, I earned every second of this. This Inside this body, it feels like it has lived 150 years. Listen, if, if your body keeps a score, mine is on the scoreboard. It, <laughs> it is in it's in it's, it's in red, bright red numbers. So I feel so. It's no no. It, it, it's a very um, big birthday, an important birthday. But I did not resent or resist it in any way. But I think there is a natural inclination to look back over your shoulder and try to put some pieces of it together before you are so old that all of it has lost the edge of its mm-hmm. pain mm-hmm. or even its beauty. I, I didn't want, sometimes with, with age, there's so much sentimentality. There is with me. I can hardly sing a, a hymn without tears in my eyes. It's, but I, I want to be able to tell the story while I can still feel mm. the acute brutality of some of it, as well as the beauty of some of it. So, so part of that was age. The other part, Jamie, I think that you will get this. I thought, oh, this is the perfect time to write a memoir because I have never, ever been less certain of what in heaven's name is happening in my life. <laughs> I, I, I truly, I thought, isn't this when you should? And I don't know if other people would feel this way, but I always thought, oh, well, it will just, it will make sense, you know, in so many ways. And that I'll, I'll know that by the time I reach 65, I, I truly will know who I am. And of course, I know who, I know who For I sure. am in, in Jesus. I'm just talking about, 
I'll know I'll, I'll be settled in my identity. I'll I'll know where my sense of belonging is. Oh no. <laughs> All bets were off. It was like, what is even happening? To my life. And so it seemed to me that was a great time to tell people in, in a memoir, I, I actually have no earthly clue what is going on, except that God is gracious and he has always been with me. So well, I'm a mess. <laughs> aren't we all? This is what I love Ugh. about memoirs. And memoirs is probably one of my most favorite genres of books to read. And especially Absolutely. from people who, and usually the people writing memoirs are public figures, you know? And so it it really is one of my favorites because as humans, we look at people the way our society is set up. We see what they allow us to see. We either see their works that create, the jobs that they do, the families they build from afar. Uh, just yes. in the past couple of years, all profile, read, you all know. profile. I've read Katie Couric's mm-hmm. memoir, Will Smith's, Matthew McConaughey's, and all of them I adored because they opened the door to their life a little bit. And it's as if we yes. get to see raw humanity, like, oh, yes. so when you're on stage talking about this, here's what's happening in your house. And it makes us see people. It makes us see celebrities as people. And so I appreciated how you brought us into that so much, Beth, is you opened the curtain and said, here's what you've seen. Here's me. Here's the real me. That's right. And one of the things that any of us would say at a point like this that that are in this thing with Jesus, I I guess you could just fake your way through it. But I think what I would say to someone, if they said that that was a Beth, I didn't even know existed. Well, what I would say to you is that what I told you and conveyed to you was the absolute truth. It mm-hmm. just was not all there was. There were some difficulties we were facing within our own home mm-hmm. that at that time were not, um, uh, let me say this, uh, not only were not appropriate to be told, also still just happening in such real time that Mm -hmm. exactly what kind of conclusion and encouragement are you going to come to Mm -hmm. in that minute? But also you have to decide, I I want someone to hear me say this. You really have to decide what the public, right? I'm not your haters as well as your, those who who love you and approve of you. What, what, what they are, what the public is worthy of hearing of that which is very, very tender and and private mm-hmm. to you, but this was very, very, very well thought out, extremely deliberate through a conversation with Keith, through a conversation with my publisher. I, you know, as I say again, that at my age in my mid sixties, there were some things that I wanted to still minister to and about that we're going to demand a little more transparency. And what we really came to was that it was just, it was just worth it. You know, it's like Mm. at this point, exactly why would I hide any of that? Plus certain people, I say this a little with a little bit of a grin, but also a little bit serious for you to really write a memoir that is authentic. It, it, can often require that certain people are home with the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and, and you had that space now to do that. I have that yes. space. Yes. I have that yes. space. Well, yes. I want to jump into some of my favorite things. First of all, I wrote down all the things I learned about you, Beth, that I didn't know. Okay, are you ready? Oh, good, good, I, good. 
did yes. not know that you were in Drill Team. And I love this. And it makes perfect sense now, Drill Team Beth. Of course it does. Also, of course it does. Southwest Texas. I was like, oh, I never knew. I assumed for some weird reason that you were an Aggie. And here I know now you are a Bobcat. No. Okay. No. Um, I, I, I did- went to a smaller school. I was too scared to go to a big school. <laughs> I didn't know, and I think this is important, and we'll, I'll probably allude to it later, that you taught sixth grade Sunday school. I knew you taught mm-hmm. aerobics. I didn't know you did it for 12 years. 12 years. Yes. I also knew you taught Sunday school, but I did not know you taught Sunday school for 23 yes. years. Oh, my gosh. I loved it. I, would I did still not be doing realize it today if I could. I did not realize you were LifeWay's first official women's Bible study. I mean, if I would have thought really hard about that, I could have put a lot of dots together. I'm like, I didn't realize that that was their first official study that they did. And then I nearly died and fell out of my bed when I read when you were talking about a woman falling out in the spirit at a living proof of it. And you said this, I quote you, you said, you're praying over this woman. And you said, with everything in me, I ask God to bless you and grant your petitions, but I'm going to need you to wake up in Jesus name or I'm going to get fired. In in Jesus name. (laughs) Jamie says, we're on video. I need to demonstrate for you in case you didn't fully understand what I did with her body. Okay. So now I okay. Let me fix this camera. You're the only you're the only one that has brought this up. I should have known. I should have known that you would. Okay, so I'm praying over her like this. We are leaned into one another. My hands are on her shoulders like this. All of a sudden, she starts to collapse. Well, I grab her around the waist. And when I do, of course, she falls backwards like this. Because, you know, I've never caught someone in the midst of falling out before. She goes back like this. So I sling her. Please imagine. Now, she's over like, I sling her up like this to where her chin goes over my shoulder where I can lodge her there. And then it's like, in Jesus' name, I'm going to have to have you wake up. You don't, you do not know what is at stake here. And it was, I tell you, Jamie, and I know you feel the same way. If we could tell some of the things that we have all experienced in, in ministry, people flat out would not believe it. But we'd have to tell on people to tell Uh it, you know. uh You got to keep it in. Oh my gosh, Uh. it was it was hilarious. And I, to this day, Travis and I and the team will, will occasionally bring up that moment of this. This was, I was staring at the end right there. Staring oh, at the, the end. best, the best. And then I love that your family used Campo Fanique for everything because my family did as everything. well. Just put put it on it. You'll be fine. Um, yes. Beth, I, I start, you start in the beginning of the book and you tell a story about it when your mom went missing. Uh, yes. You said, and I quote you, you said yes. this, never once did we step toward the phone in the breakfast room to call no. the police. We Jenny Greens Dunn. were a well-known family in a small college town, a Christian family with high visibility at church. You continue to list things about your family, from your dad in the Lions Club to your sister in the marching band. And I couldn't help but read this way earlier in your story as a child, how this fame kept you isolated. And I wondered as I was reading, did this progress in, in your life? And then I read way further in your book. You said, my life, his life, speaking of Keith, our girls' lives became unrecognizable. And as it often is the case, especially for people in ministry, we were trapped in a secret, unsure of who we could trust with the truth. And I read both of those things. And I thought, this has been a core in your life since a child. And so now you write this memoir and you're 65 and you're thinking, well, I'm not going to be trapped anymore. Is that part of this as well? Absolutely. And I'm going to tell you something else. I, 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 we don't even begin to know the statistics because we, we don't even know the full, uh, 
spectrum of what middle illness can mean, mm-hmm. so, especially someone who is not a professional like me. But I'm just going to say to you right now, and I'm thinking of my mother, then I'm thinking of some of the dish, issues that we dealt with later. I'm going to say this to you. How many lives of people that we know have not been somehow touched by mental illness, whether with someone in their home, someone very close in their life, or in their own mirror. Mm-hmm. And yet we are so careful not to talk about it because out of protection, out of protection mm-hmm. for our people, even if our people are, even if we're the one and it's our people that we want to protect from others being, others knowing their business, whatever it may be, it it has shut so many people up in shame. And if mm-hmm. we only would be a little more open to talk about some of it, not not to bring in graphics that right. um, would dishonor the person struggling with it or mm-hmm. their caretaker. But if we would talk a little more freely, then we would know such as is common to so many of us. Mm-hmm. And the one thing mental illness never is, never, ever, ever is, is the person's fault. Mm-hmm. It may be a lot of things, but it is never their fault. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, yeah. And that period with my with my mom, mm-hmm. when because my dad was out of his mind, mm-hmm. and then my mom was in the bed. You talk about unsettling. Mm. It was just that the instability of that, and thinking, you know, who who is it that comes to our rescue here? Yeah, yeah, and, 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 and uh, it was some kind of existence. I remember, you know, getting your full story of you experiencing that as a young girl and then even experiencing parts of that that you speak about within your own home as a grown woman and, and a mother yes. and a wife yes. and, and a ministry leader. You've had to grapple with this for so life. And, you know, we're talking about trauma and we know there's been so much work. Praise be to God about how trauma really affects us and our brains That's and right. our bodies and all the That's things right. uh, you talk about in your book about a moment of reading your journals when you were younger and you go back and, and you're reading your ju- journals and you've seen that you didn't write about anything Jamie. that was hard. Only good. Jamie, could you believe it? No, no, I couldn't. And you said this. You said, maybe it was my idea of how a clean slate should look for a Jesus follower, completely homogenizing, forgiving and forgetting. Maybe it was a way of keeping no record of wrongs. Whatever it was, I'd not just shut the trauma in. I'd shut it out. Poof, gone, almost overnight. Then- Absolutely. 70 pages later, you write, I was 34, a mother of three with a fulfilling ministry, getting to do what I love to do on the verge <laughs> of a total self-destruction. You say part of me would not survive this season. So there was a reckoning. So can you talk a little bit about what God had to do for oh, you? So so I was looking at my 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old journal. And then as you said, come 34 years old, while someone is telling me her story, that I was not prepared to hear. And it was, it was a meeting that was set up um, by someone I, I loved and, and trusted that really thought, cause I had already been honest that I had been victimized by abuse as, as a child, but that did not mean that I was in any way that did make me a professional therapist or counselor mm-hmm. or expert of any kind. I had barely, I had barely looked it in the face. And so she's telling me her story and I began, and I'll, I'll, I'll leave those details. It would be too long to tell, but the way that thing began to play out in my mind and I, I no longer could even hear what she was saying, but it does. The thing about it is it does come, 
come back. There's no way for abuse and for extreme instability to have no impact on us. So we do the best we can as long as we can. The, and then it's coming. It's, it's coming. And I think in part because the Lord is so faithful. How in the world do you heal up from something you will not even face? Mm-hmm. And so that was going to cause me destruction for as, as long as it was in there because it was, I, I still retained that that was deep in there, still yeah. looked at life as though I was just full of shame mm-hmm. as if I was not um, worthy to be respected, not worthy of boundaries, mm-hmm. um, and that I was going to be nothing but um, destructive. Yeah. And so all of those things played in, but yeah. the Lord did not let me get away with it. And I'm, I'm so glad that he didn't, but I do want to say to someone, I'm so glad you brought this up, Jamie. One thing for sure, you you got the book, the things that you hit on, you definitely understood where this thing was going. And I want someone to hear us say that this way of thinking, which was extremely, extremely fundamental in my generation, but that the way of forgiving Mm. is to come. I mean, it's just over. It's just over the way to keep no regular wrongs. It never happened. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand when Jamie's describing me writing in my journal, it was a prayer journal. I need, (laughs) I wasn't just lying to myself. You're not even telling God. You don't even want to tell God. No, I am telling the Lord himself Uh something that flat out is not true. Why? Because I thought this is the way you do. This is what it means to be a good Christian Mm -hmm. is that that's over now. It's as if it never happened. Well, let me tell you, my insides were going, oh, girlfriend. It happened. Did it ever happen? Did it ever happen? And it's coming. And it will come out sideways. I mean, it will come out some way, anger, fear, tragedy, like all kinds of things that will come out, which, you know, I didn't even, I didn't even think about this or, or I don't want to spend so much time about this because we have talked about this, me and you on my podcast before, but it makes a lot of sense when 2016 hits and, you know, conservative evangelical Christians are saying things following a leader who is so anti what Jesus would have men treat women to be. I'm speaking of former president Trump and you spoke out. So against that, it makes so much sense because you're going this, this can't happen on our watch Christians because I have been on the floor and this is what this is like. Forgive me, but Jamie, if I'm going to say this on anybody's podcast, I get to be this honest on yours. What was said was not a mere matter of sexual immorality, but in, in my estimation, by the time you are big talking about grabbing people by the genitals mm-hmm. and not even asking mm-hmm. that there is no, there's nothing consensual going on. You just think you have the right mm-hmm. to grab. Some, that to me goes from immorality to criminality. And so to me, you know, okay, all bets are off yeah, here. Assault. If you have been mm-hmm. through that, and a lot of people that haven't, it did not take victims to say, what in the world are we doing? But for mm-hmm. victims, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Right. There was just, there was no way. Mm-hmm. So one yeah. thing I had on my side through that whole thing, because it caused such a negative backlash. I mean, it the, the ministry, it would never be the same. I would never be the same. I hope 
that there's been growth. I hope that some things have been better. Some things have been worse, all of the things. But what I did know at the end of the day was that what I did was very true to who I was and what I believed. And so, you know, Jamie, at some point you just have to rest it at that. What can you do? If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike, and it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You you do have to rest it, and it, there is a cost to it for sure, and 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 we're grateful for it as well. You said it here something that I felt so related to. You said early in the book, I believe this is after you had moved to Houston. You said I was a good girl doing bad things. I was a bad girl yeah. doing good things, and I thought, oh gosh, if that didn't mm. hit me right in the middle of my heart. You said I was spiraling in our spinning house there in the air where witches fly. The only thing that terrified me more than getting caught was nobody caring what? enough to catch me. And I read that and I thought, man, so many girls can relate to that. And as I read it, I saw this pain all over your ministry, not your pain, but your response to this pain throughout the next like lifetime that you've been doing. I feel like you have been ministering to women in a response of, I see you, like I see your pain and I have Jesus to offer you. Would you say that that would be true? I, I will tell you that as I look back over my shoulder at the ministry, here is what I absolutely know. I absolutely know I would not have had the same burden for women to make mm-hmm. it, the same burden. I wouldn't feel the same. Prote- I'm very, very protective, very protective over women, over women I do not know. But like, if I see a woman that's being mm-hmm. hit badly, it, it doesn't even matter if I agreed with what she said or, or, or not. It's like, you know what? I will stand right there. Yeah. You, you better know that I'm going to stand right in front of her. You can punch mm-hmm. me, but I'm going to punch you back. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I do mm-hmm. think that came from having been through so much and, and the victimization and knowing the feeling of, of, of not knowing where to turn. I, I want to tell you something again. I haven't, I didn't write this in the book um, because this is what gets, this is why the title of it is all my knotted up life because mm-hmm. It's so hard to figure out. I'm going to tell you something very negative that my mother said, but I could tell you 10 things alongside of it that were life-saving to me that she said and did. My mother loved me. She just didn't know what to do with what she saw. But I can tell you that there was a time that she walked in the room when I had a boyfriend over and we were, I mean, we were, it, it was not appropriate, but it was not 
there was it was not any un you know un um dressing or anything like that. But she yeah. said to me, um, and I, this was at a very difficult point in her life, but she said to me, you'll be pregnant by the time you're 16. And mm. I can, I just stared like this and thought, then why don't you help me? Why don't, why don't, mm. I, I had no boundaries whatsoever. And every now and then, you know, there's that part of you and there was that part of me and I couldn't have put it together then, but now as I look back on it, I wish the worst. <laughs> no, I don't really wish this, Jamie. But if I had known then what I know now, I could have rightly been able to answer her. Well, maybe I wouldn't be mm-hmm. like this except for your husband. Mm-hmm. Do you understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. Jamie? What yeah, a yeah. mess. Mm-hmm. What a mess. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I have a lot you, of... You literally had no one to catch you. No. You had no, no one to catch you. And, you know, yeah. I don't tell my siblings' yeah. stories. I'm very careful. And I told them from the very top. I said, yours is... I will only tell what happened to me. And then I will only tell what I... Mm-hmm. Some of the things that I did out of it. And so... Mm-hmm. I want you to know, I really, I, what I shared was the tip of the iceberg. Truly it was, mm-hmm. truly it was. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I adored well, my mother. I, adored my mother. That, I was very sure. close to her and not, not close to my father, but we don't always say the right thing. And mm-hmm. we, you know, we react, we react to a child doing something that scares us as their parent. And sometimes that's exactly right. what we say, a very wrong thing. You know, um, I want to talk about something that I, I found so, um, gracious of God on your life. You tell the story about when you felt mm-hmm. God calling you mm-hmm. into ministry and it's a beautiful story, but people will read it in the book and it just, I mean, I feel, it felt so, so tender glad. that you even led us I'm into so that glad. beautiful part of your Good. story. You talked about this happened and then you went to an older mm-hmm. woman and you even talk about what could have gone wrong in Jamie. this situation, in this day and age, in the denomination that you were in and the story that you told her and the grace of God in your life on that. And and I see so many parts in your story and you already alluded to how much you um, are for women. And I just feel like you've had some women. You mentioned Marge, yes. another woman in your story who was so yes. impactful to your life. How did that like change the course of oh. your life, that conversation with that woman? Uh. Jamie, I cannot put enough emphasis on it. It what I tried to do in the memoir, and mm-hmm. I, I want to be able to talk other women and, and men um, through some of this process because it, it has been very valuable to me to sit back and look at the story and to see how God moved in the midst of so many crises. But what I attempted to do because it's very a memoir is very different from a an autobiography. In that, what I attempted to do, I don't know if this is what people generally do, but I attempted to look at the most shaping moments of my life, whether they shaped me for good or shaped me mm-hmm. for bad. Childhood abuse shaped me for bad. It was very destructive. Right. This was one of those right. moments. There's just not enough emphasis I could put on it that what she told me to do when she leaned forward to me and said, I think you have had, and Jamie, I think you were were raised in my same denomination because this is so perfectly the way we would say it as Southern Baptists. I believe you have uh-huh, had a, uh-huh. a calling to vocational Christian service. This exactly the phrase that we have used. And I want you to go Sunday 
to your pastor and I want you to tell him that you believe that you have received a call from God. And yeah, it was the most shaping thing that possibly could have happened to me. But what I was saying in the book that that you're um, alluding to, Jamie, and that I want to say to our listeners and viewers is that when I look now at how it could have gone wrong when she basically told me, now you go back to your church and let them guide you mm-hmm. in what you were going to do. But I, you know, the mercy of God on me, um, cause I'm trying to think what it would have been like to have been abused at home and to have been abused at church. The fact of it was mm. that for me, church was my safe place. It's probably been why the last few years have been so, so hard, hard, so full of grief. Uh, but my home was mm-hmm. the unsafe place. You mentioned also three profound mm-hmm. people who impacted your life. Um, John Bazzano, Marge Caldwell, yes. Buddy Walters, which I think you said they've all they gone to see Jesus. Um, but there was so much in your story as well that I think a lot of people who desire to do Christian vocational ministry can lose sight of. And the fact that you were so intentional with discipleship and teaching and learning and having people pour into your life that a lot of people, um, you probably get this a lot. I I went to your, the, the, I don't know if I want to call it a conference, Mm -hmm. your lit conference that you did a couple of years ago. And it was so great. But I think a lot of women are like, well, I just want to make Mm -hmm. Bible studies and teach Mm -hmm. women and go out and change the world. And that is good and right and true. But when I see your story and you talk about your ministry journey, you were in your local church for years and years and years and years and years being discipled and poured into. And I would love to hear you talk about the importance of that and why in our culture today, so many people want to skip that or even think that they can skip that and still be effective. I I will tell you this, that with what you just described in all of those years growing up in a church atmosphere that very much put the emphasis on evangelism and discipleship that I'm still going to tell you in all of that, in all of that studying hard, um, getting tutored, being mentored and all of those things. Cause I'm still, I'm still a very big believer. I'm very, very connected with my local church and my life is, is very much invested there. I will still tell you, Jamie Ivy, that I still could possibly have been prepared for what was what was coming in the ministry that was going to be entrusted to me. I still mm. will tell you, oh, I, I, there was so much more. I wish I had known. I wish I've gotten more. All the things. So I say to you, that step cannot, that, there has to be the growth because during that time, you cannot mm. rush it. You cannot rush maturity in Christ. You cannot you cannot. It's not mm-hmm. our inner man. It's not like our outer man, our physical body that just that the longer it's on earth, the more that it ages. That's that's not true for our souls. We can still be mm-hmm. spiritually and psychologically, emotionally. We we could talk all of these things, have literally zero coping skills mm-hmm. and we can still be like an adolescent. We can still be like a three year old. You know, mm-hmm. some people that have just never they're still toddlers having fits yeah. and all the things. There's no way mm-hmm. around the process. And I'd say even further than that, that at any point that we stop that at any point we stop mm. learning and I mean, on purpose, stop studying Mm-hmm. Um, we have not ceased being saved. I'm just going to use our, you know, evangelical terminology. We've not ceased being saved, but we have certainly ceased being disciples because that that word meant mm-hmm. that Greek word that translates disciples um, means the essence of it is learners. 
So it, it's got to be, and I, mm. I said this, I said this at Lit, and I'll say it again, and it's not meant to be insulting. It's meant to be just what is more natural to people than to want to skip what it takes mm-hmm. to um, be able to sustain where you are believing God's calling you to go. But I've said so many times, listen, a teacher that doesn't want to study is a talker, not a teacher. The, you, mm-hmm. you, you don't want to do that. As it is, I taught more than I yeah. knew. As it is, I said more than I knew what I was talking about. But um, we have to go through that. And and God, we have to go through the process God very much on purpose sought out that I would run my race against a constant gush of wind. Like it was just, it was like Mm -hmm. learning to run Mm -hmm. with like in the sand, carrying heavy weights in my hands. Um, Mm -hmm. But he wanted me strong enough that when I got out there and the, and it was hot and it was hot. I mean, it was, Mm. it was fire. Yeah that I would have in me mm. what it was going to take to stay. So um, you can't skip that ever. Mm-mm. You can't skip it. You know, one of the things that um, you opened up in your book about, and I don't know everything you've ever written, so I could be wrong here, that it felt like probably one of the first times, if not the deepest times, was about your mm-hmm. marriage and Keith. And um, I mean, I already told you, Keith Moore has a special place because – um, the vulnerability yes. uh, that you allow. And you even said, you alluded to this earlier, we started talking, but you you asked Keith, when you're writing this book, you know, hey, how yeah. much are we going to do? How do much here? can I share? And you said to him, yeah, what do you want to do? You said, we're in our 60s now. Some couple, some family, some reader we'd never otherwise reach might need to hear yes. our story. Um, and so you're putting that out, vulnerability. The book comes out in about a month from this uh, interview. How are you feeling going about with this vulnerability? And I'm only asking because I, I'm not, I don't want to assume what was the hardest thing for you to put in the book. I, I, I have, I have, you could tell me, but this feels really hard to me um, because it's somebody else's life. You have had so much insight into this because my team at Tyndale can tell you because two of my People from my friends from Tyndale were here for the audio recording, as well as Kimberly McMahon, who is my personal assistant. And they would tell you because they listened. Well, I came back who are Kimberly McMahon, who I call K-Mac. She listened to the whole thing. They listened to the first couple of days of it. And I can tell you that the only place I, I my voice broke several times and I had a lump in my throat several times. But the time that I flat out put my head in my hands and sobbed in the audio recording is right there sobbed. And we, so we had to stop recording. I made all of them cry. I think that the guy that was doing the recording, (laughs) he teared up. We all had to get Kimberly brought me Kleenex and she was going here. I mean, and it truly, (laughs) Oh, I say this. I, I, I don't, I don't know if you can see him, but I've got chills in my arms talking about this. This is such a tender thing for me because I think any of us feel this way about our families. I can handle you just beating the snot out of me, but please take it easy on my people who were not looking for this. And I know we don't have that. We don't have the right to ask them how they're going to take it. But I, yeah, I feel if you ask me what I feel most nervous about is that Keith not regret it. 
And um, mm. I told him, because Jamie, you were one of the first people who read it, because as you and I are having this conversation, we have only let people have it that we're going to be interviewing us in advance of it. So you were one of the very... I couldn't even find it on oh, Amazon, Beth. It's, it's just... It's just yeah, it's, so, yeah. um, mm-hmm. and when you said back how much you loved him. And I told him that, and I didn't have to drag him into it. That would have done no good. He had to feel good about it himself. And mm-hmm. he asked me, yeah. he said, how, what, yeah. how much are you going to tell? I said, you tell me, you tell me how much, but for those yeah. listening, uh, we have dealt mm-hmm. with uh, quite a challenge of just lifelong PTSD that he earned. When you hear his story, you'll know, mm-hmm. you won't have to wonder oh, yeah. why he has it mm-hmm. and why it's been so hard to yeah. get dislodged out of that heart and mind. And then he would be um, much later diagnosed with um, bipolar, which is very, um, for for many of our seasons, was very well uh, treated and we were able to get through pretty well. Other times, not as well. And other times, just somewhere in, in between. But to say to people, this is this is one of the things that we've dealt with and and throughout. Um, yeah, it's very vulnerable. And yeah. it is absolutely the first time I've, I've ever told it. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And because it wasn't just me, it's it's my man. You know, don't mess with my people. And, I, you know, and you know, it, no, somebody's probably going to. But I did tell him when you responded, I read your text to him. And I said, babe, I think that's the way it's going to be for most people, that they'll get to the end of it. And, it is. And they'll it is. think, I, I like that guy. I like that guy. Especially, we're not going to talk about it, but especially with your house and all. I mean, it was just like, oh, my gosh, this was just so good. Now, this is where I did feel, and, and I want to close this out with this, and I have 17 more questions I wanted to ask you, but I want to talk about this. We've again, I don't want to go into this because we've talked about this on my show before with what has gone down in the last couple of years of your life. So I do want to help people to go listen to that because we have great conversations about it. What I couldn't get past, Beth, was as I was reading about all that Keith walked through in the past couple of years and your family with the illness and sickness on top of everything already uh, that you guys have walked through. This was happening in the same time as people were burning you alive at the stakes. And I thought to myself, how did you not come back screaming? My family's falling apart. I need you to leave me alone. And I told you when I sent your message, and this is not Christ-like, but I was like, I want everyone that was so mean to Beth Moore to read this book and realize what was happening on the home front in the midst you of know, this. Some people out there would not care or and further than that would think, well, she got she got <laughs> what she deserved. True. She should never have been she got what she deserved. <laughs> uh, teaching in the first place. Uh, so it, there would be that. And um, but yes, and I have to t- I'm talking about the nor- the people who have their mind on yeah, straight. Yeah, That's yes. what I'm talking about. Okay. We'll, but we'll I, I will tell you because I, I think that you will find this very, very intriguing. We we could honestly talk three hours. Um but so he missed the whole thing. He truly, he has very little memory because of, of some things that, that happened in like his just best way I know what to call it is um, that his, the hardware of that, that lab, yeah, yeah. that, that computer just literally mm-hmm. crashed. So um, he yeah. has, 
he remembers very little of it. So now that he is a lot more of himself than he was, and he is able to to deal with that information and and know what. So he started looking it up online. I told the girls this. I said, y'all, dad is mad at everyone. I said, he has cussed a blue streak. I said, he, I can't, I said, he is where we were three years ago. Right. He's just now catching up. And he'll go, he'll have his phone like this and go, and I'm going to read this to you, right? No, babe, don't read it to me. And I said to him, (laughs) oh, babe, don't do it. Don't do it. He goes, but I'm just catching up. I said, this is not what you want to catch up on. This is not, that's, this is not it. And every now and then he'll go and with tears, tears streaming out his cheeks. Why didn't you tell me? And it was like, babe, I lived it mm-hmm. right in front of you. You just, mm-hmm. you know, you just weren't able yeah. to comprehend it. But I, I do want to say mm-hmm. one reason why we do want to take it a little bit easier on people is that there's no one going through nothing. No, there just isn't. I remember when someone said something really ugly about Rick and Kay Warren. You know, I just think so much of that was jealousy because they, there wasn't anything Mm -hmm. inappropriate. They weren't uh, accusing them of anything inappropriate. It was just like, you know, just regular, regular hating. But I happened to know at that time some of what they were going through. And man, I came out mm. punching the air. And I isn't that yeah. sort of how we are? Yeah. I can, it's one thing when it's me, but if it's somebody else and I'm thinking, you know what? You have no idea. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what you're yep. piling on. And um, mm-hmm. it's, it's life's tough and it's tough. It's tough yeah. in ministry. It really, it really is. But oh mm-hmm. goodness, God is good. Yeah. I, I want to say this before we before we conclude, because one of the things that I saw, I, I, I'd been reluctant because I thought this this is gonna. I, I don't think I can barely look back because it's just gonna look like one big train wreck. But it and it and it did. <laughs> it did. But I literally wrote it out in a timeline. These things that shaped me, and throughout. All of those awful things, so often they were hemmed in something providential. And I knew, Jamie Ivey, that surely goodness and mercy had followed me all the days of my life. And that Mm. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And um, yeah, that makes it all right. Well, Beth, I want to say this to you publicly after reading this memoir that you're releasing and and hearing your heart and hearing what's going on is you have, you've had to, you've had to fight a hard fight. And, and unfortunately, like you just mentioned during those years uh, that Keith was sick, you probably felt alone a lot of those fights. Um, And I just want to publicly say, thank you for, for standing strong. Thank you for not letting uh, the hatred of other people take you down. Um, and, And I do believe it comes from, you have such a deep, deep, deep sense, um, not only of the love of the father, but of the justice yes. that he has and of the care that he has for his people. And so that's evident. And I'm grateful so for it. And um, thank you so much for saying it. This book, literally all my knotted up life um, 
really, really good. I hope everyone gets it. Thank you, Jamie. I've had a blast with you. I wish we had I wish we had a meal that we could now take part in and feast together. I love you, Jamie Ivy. You are a staunch and mighty woman of God. You hang in there. You guys, I I told you, I had so many more questions. I'm sure you have so many more questions. But in all seriousness, go check out Beth's book. Uh, She reads it. So if you're an Audible listener or you like to listen to books that are read by their authors, you are in for a treat with Beth reading it. So go check that out, All My Knotted Up Life. Guys, I want to thank you for all of you guys that are subscribed to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And for those of you that leave comments and ratings, we're super thankful because it helps more people find the show. So I want to read a recent comment and a rating uh, over on the Happy hours apple podcast page where you can leave reviews it says this the happy hour with jamie ivy was the first podcast i ever listened to wow awesome i found it when it first launched and i'm still listening to it eight years later oh this is an og this is an original happy hour listener so she probably did hear that very first episode with beth she goes on to say this it is something that i look forward to every week knowing that i will laugh and learn and always be inspired i love the authenticity that jamie and her guests bring to a living christian life I sometimes dread certain episode topics because of my own inner critic only to walk away feeling challenged and encouraged rather than guilt-ridden or shamed. This is one podcast I would recommend to anyone looking for some fun and casual conversations during the week that also provides new understanding and viewpoints. Very grateful for that uh, review. And that is our hope with the show. So thank you for leaving that. Wherever you're listening uh, to the Happy Hour Jamie Ivy, I would love if you'd leave a rating or review. And I would really, really love if you shared this podcast with a friend. The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts. Executive produced by Jamie Ivy, produced by Lindsay Sweeney, edited by Angie Elkins, art by Jen Jet Barrett, original music by Matt Graham. And I'm your host, Jamie. Have a happy hour with a friend.